1: to today's episode of High Energy Health. We are so glad you're tuning in with us here today. I'm Miriam Paninski, your guest host. I am so thrilled about today's conversation with the wonderful Oren J. Sofer. Thank you so much for being here today, Oren.
0: Absolutely.
1: So um, just to introduce to our audience who may not yet know you, but should get to know you (laughs) quickly. Oren J. Sofer is a Teacher of meditation and mindfulness practices, as well as a nonviolent communication trainer and also somatic experience practitioner. And we'll talk more about this constellation today. And Oren is the author of the phenomenal book, Say What You Mean: A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication, a Practical Guidebook for Having More Effective, Satisfying Conversations. And he's also the co-author of two books on teaching mindfulness to teens and adolescents called uh, the Mindful Schools Curriculum for Adolescents and Teaching Mindfulness to Empower Teens. There's a lot to say about your extensive background, but you have practiced meditation or in, in the, for a long time. As far as I know, you have been trained in the early Buddhist traditions in that, since 1997, and you're also a longtime student of Joseph Goldstein, Michelle McDonald, Ajahn um, Sukito and a graduate of the IMS, the Spirit Rock Vipassana, Vipassana Teacher Training and current member of the Spirit Rock Teachers Council, and you teach nationally wonderful trainings in both Buddhist and secular settings. You do offer this quite unique and actually quite pragmatic also approach to mindfulness practices and how to integrate them into daily life and also relationships, suggesting a combination. Um, I would say of mindfulness, nonviolent communication, and somatic experiences. And I just said, I'm a huge admirer, admirer of your work. And I think say what you mean is such an important work. So I want to segue into this to say, so similar to practices like EFT, somatic experiences, experiencing is experiencing as a practice that entails holding space, moving through old pain, trauma, experiences while somatically physically sending signals to the nervous system that it may relax, interrupting kind of the fight, flight, freeze response from our nervous system that, pre- that previously had been attached to this pain, to this trauma and this event. And however, the assumption often seems to be that meditation and mindfulness practices are the opposite of attending to what feels negative, so to say, in our life and therefore couldn't correlate with trauma work and such as somatic experiencing. Would you share, Oren, with us your thoughts on that and what you saw in this combination of mindfulness, meditation and somatic practices, somatic trauma healing?
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Miriam. Well, I, I think there's a, a few things to note here, which are not my own thoughts, but really the insights of many of the teachers that I've studied with. I think the first is that both the process of awakening that we support through meditation, mindfulness, contemplative practices uh, is a natural process that as human beings, our consciousness has the potential to to understand deeply. What it is to be human and to be free, to be free from the constraints of the past, the constraints of the fear. In anticipation of the future, the narrowness of the sense, uh, the small sense of self that that we each experience, but that often entails a sense of separation or isolation from others and from life. Awakening is a natural process. Healing from trauma is also a natural process. The body has innate physiological healing capacities. It also has innate emotional and psychological healing capacities. And so the work of somatic Experiencing, as I understand it, and as I've learned it, is really about creating the conditions to support the body's natural healing capacities. And so this is one thing that the, these two practices share in common: is that the the approach is one of creating the right conditions in the mind and the body for something that's quite innate and natural to unfold. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I would say is that, and I talk about this a little bit at the beginning of the book, you know, that these frames. Frameworks we create as human beings, okay, this is somatic experiencing, and this is Mm -hmm. mindfulness, and okay, now this is a communication technique. All, All of these systems that we create are, from my view, convenient ways of organizing information, but life is just life. Being human Mm -hmm. is just being human. And these are just different perspectives on how to live a full human life. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at the mechanics of something like somatic experiencing, as well as other forms of trauma healing, one of the most foundational capacities is mindfulness. You need Mm -hmm. to, you know, one of the things that we are doing as therapists, healers, trauma healers is supporting an individual to develop the capacity to be self-aware in a balanced Mm -hmm. and kind of reflective way. That's mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So the foundation of trauma healing is mindfulness. It's that capacity that gives us space to be with how we're feeling and to witness what's happening inside. And then the same is true in the other direction in many ways that, you know, you mentioned this kind of mistaken notion about mindfulness, that it's somehow about avoiding negative experiences, Mm -hmm. right, or transcending negative experiences, when the reality is that contemplative practice is about developing the capacity to experience all of what it is to be human, open our hearts and our minds to the full range of pleasure and pain, joy and Mm -hmm. sorrow in life. Mm -hmm. And what it takes to do that, is a certain kind of balance. And this is one of the central principles behind somatic experiencing, which is that in order to heal from trauma and to reintegrate the intense energy that was uh, stimulated in whatever that traumatic event or series of events was, we need to reintroduce a certain kind of balance into the nervous system mm-hmm. to find a way um, to allow the mind and the body to, the word that Peter Levine Venus was pendulate to go back and forth naturally rhythmically between things that are healing strengthening comforting and things that are difficult and challenging. Mm-hmm. And it's in that movement, that very natural movement back and forth between the places that we feel safe and connected and the places that, we're, that we feel stretched, that integration happens. And if you meditate long enough and study with the right teachers, you will find that same approach embedded in meditation practices because it's natural, because it's part of mm-hmm. what's innate to us as human beings.
1: Thank you for this response. And we'll circle back to some of what you just said a little later. I would like to cover the third of this kind of constellation, which is nonviolent communication. Could you explain for those... without being, and I, I heard what you said, and I totally agree with kind of like the, the setting of these terminologies and what they can, you know, the productiveness of them, but also what they kind of do in terms of restricting us. But in terms of nonviolent communication as a tool, as a as a term for a certain technique, for those of us who may not have heard of it, what is, in a nutshell, could you explain what nonviolent communication is?
0: It's a great question. And it's always a challenging one because like, yeah. like any of these techniques or systems you know, there are different levels of depth and meaning. So on the surface, nonviolent communication is a communication technique that allows us to work together more effectively as human beings. It helps us to collaborate and uh, share resources and attend to the needs that are present in humans and non-human species in a way that creates space for everyone to live. On the planet. Uh, so uh, on the surface, that's that's kind of its goal. At a deeper level, it's, it's really an awareness training. It's a technique mm-hmm. that allows us to transform our relationship to ourselves, to others, and to life in a way that embodies the values of nonviolence. The values of nonviolence, meaning bringing a spirit of love, dignity, respect, and non-harming to our Mm -hmm. way of being in the world and to really find the clarity and inner resources to engage with the difficult questions of our life in Mm -hmm. these times of how do we respond to all of the challenges that we're facing as a species and do so Mm -hmm. in a way that both has integrity and that's effective, that actually leverages whatever influence or resources we have. So in a shortest sense, that that would be the two kind of levels at which I would say what nonviolent communication communication is. And I would add that it was founded by a man named Dr. Marshall Rosenberg in the Mm -hmm. 1980s, who was a uh, psychologist who went on to uh, develop this communication technique and the kind of inner transformation that supports it.
1: Right. And in your book, you describe an encounter with Marshall Rosenberg in the early 2000s, I think before mindfulness, you say exploded and you shared some thoughts with him about a possible missing piece in nonviolent communication. Would you, would you mind sharing with us about this conversation?
0: Absolutely. Sure. So it was at the end of a intensive retreat and intensive training I was doing with, with Dr. Rosenberg and some other nonviolent communication trainers. And I had been practicing meditation and mindfulness for quite a few years at that point. And, you know, One of the core trainings in nonviolent communication, this sort of method of communicating more effectively, learning to collaborate with other human beings, and also transforming Mm -hmm. how we see ourselves and understand the world. One of the core practices is to learn how to be more aware of the emotions that we feel, and underneath those emotions, the fundamental needs or values that we have as human beings, these kind of essential factors that motivate us as humans mm-hmm. do that in ourself and for others to be able to perceive and attend to the emotions and the needs that other people have. And that's Mm -hmm. those are the building blocks of this communication technique and this awareness training. And what I said to Dr. Rosenberg was, it it seems to me that in order to be able to do that, you have to be aware first. Mm -hmm. You have to have some foundation of self-awareness and some mechanism to shine the light of awareness on our internal experience to just basically uncover and discern, well, how do I feel and what is important to me underneath this and to connect with that in someone else. And so, you know, I said to him, it seems that there's this kind of missing piece that, you know, teaching people to be aware would be an essential foundation and that, you know, meditation is one of the best ways that I know how to do that. (laughs) And he basically agreed with me. He said, you're right he said, I've been thinking about that for years and wondering how I can get people to be more aware and teach them to do that. And then he made a joke about how he'd been doing that. He was a very creative and playful man and he used puppets in his work. And so yes. he, had, he had invented this little giraffe, baby giraffe hat that he would wear to show, <laughs> yeah. to show that he was <laughs> meditating or that he was basically, you know, being aware of what was happening inside. But then, you know, essentially he said, oh, maybe that's your work to do and that felt it was felt very on the one hand I was a little disappointed because you know here I was <laughs> I was in my you know my, my late 20s and was meeting this great teacher and felt like hey man you know you, you've you know what's going on why don't you do this right and as I felt on one hand I felt a little disappointed but at the same time looking back on it I actually felt quite seen and empowered I
1: love that story what was the other animal that was the giraffe and the jackal is it yes Yes, the jackal.
0: So he uses these puppets to illustrate the difference between our habitual ways of communicating, which sometimes he would call life alienated communication. And that's represented by this puppet of the jackal. Mm -hmm. And these are the ways of communicating we have that essentially express our feelings and unmet needs through blame judgment, diagnoses, denial of responsibility, and it essentially disconnects us from our heart. So rather than being aware of what's true for me and how I actually feel and what's important to me, I project that out onto the world. Mm -hmm. So So when I don't like something that's happening around me, I can say what's wrong with it and judge it. You know, this is ridiculous. You're being selfish. You're being a jerk. You're being rude. Instead of actually being aware of and communicating what's true for me, which might be that I feel upset, confused, angry, uncertain, worried, all the different feelings that are present and more importantly, why? What the underlying needs are. Why do I have those feelings? Because there's something that matters to me. And so the jackal represents our habitual ways of communicating, which tend to lead to more conflict, disagreement, and struggle. The giraffe represents what he sometimes called compassionate communication or life-connected communication. And this is a language of our feelings and needs. It's connected to the actual life energy that's moving through us, the emotions that we feel, and the underlying values beneath them, what really matters to us.
1: This this book, Say What You Mean, seems to really... Like you have taken on this task of kind of like the task which he has kind of, <laughs> a little bit force pushed in your pushed in your arms. So what is the by incorporating all of those teachings? What was your intention for the book?
0: I mean, my intention was quite simple: it was to provide a roadmap for people to mm-hmm. be able to learn the skills that I see so many of us lacking in life, which are so essential to just fundamentally just living a meaningful life, you know, having meaningful relationships and being able to engage in the world in effective and meaningful ways. So I wanted people to have practical step-by-step guide, you know, how do I transform my conversations and my relationships in my life so that I feel more empowered, so that I can experience the kind of connection and vitality that we want, and so that we can be more effective and realize our potential. So the book really takes its not the kind of book you read, you sit down and read from cover to cover. It's it's meant to be practiced with. And as you mm-hmm. know from reading it, there are, there are reflection exercises, there are practices to do with someone else to really examine the ways we've been conditioned to think, to feel, to relate, and to speak and listen, and then how to shift those to ways of relating, speaking, and listening that are more effective and have a greater potential to yield the kind of meaning and fulfillment that we long for as human beings in life.
1: And it is, it really has this, this, this beautiful practicality. And that's what exactly what my husband and I did. We both bought a our own copy mm-hmm. of the books we have two copies of the book yeah. at home my husband brought you into my attention as he has been following your teachings also on a 10% happier app and i would just like encourage everyone also in the audience for any kind of relationship but to read something like this book together and step by step apply some of these practical steps and apply some of these practices and enjoy some of those meditations is just been so wonderfully fruitful i just want to put that out there Thank
0: Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And as as you know, I also teach classes. I teach online classes and retreats and workshops in person. So um, the book is a great a great first step and a way to explore the terrain and learn some tools. And then for those who are serious and really want to take their practice and skills a step further, in the back of the book, there's a list of links for not just my own work but the work of other nonviolent yes. communication trainers. And you know, it's communication is a relational activity, so the best way to learn it is with other people.
1: And I will repeat that at the end, is you're tremendously generous also on your website with sharing those references, sharing book referrals, therapist referrals. But I, I will circle back to this at the end with this. There, there are really some incredible resources on your website. We will be right back with this amazing conversation with Oren So far in just a couple of minutes. Please come right back. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. Today I'm in conversation with the amazing Oren J. Solfer. We have just been talking about the principle of principles of nonviolent communication and Oren's intention for his book, Say What You Mean. And I want to move on to three foundations that you talk about in, in your book, but also in other contexts for human communication. And the book sort of also builds on those, which are to lead with presence come from curiosity and care and focus on what matters so presence intention attention could you briefly elaborate a little bit on those foundations sure and I know this is it, this is a
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're both laughing because Miriam knows, <laughs> knows my work and knows I could talk about each of those for you know an hour because <laughs> they're so rich, but I'll try to, I'll try to give an abbreviated version. Wh- what do I mean by lead with presence and why is this the first foundation, more meaningful conversations and better relationships? Well, if we want to experience life more fully and if we want to understand one another, connect, work together better, We have to be aware if we're not aware, we're on automatic. And when we're on automatic, we're being run by our habits. And those habits may or may not actually be helpful or appropriate to the situation. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole host of benefits that come with being more aware in our relationships and conversations, beginning with this most fundamental benefit of actually receiving the richness of life to everything else from getting more information to noticing if we're getting reactive and being able to adjust Mm -hmm. internally actually creating the conditions for mutuality and understanding. We all know what it feels like to be in conversation with someone who's not present, who's distracted, who's Mm -hmm. thinking about something else, who's looking at their phone. And hopefully we've all had the experience of being with somebody who really gives us their full attention. And how does that feel when someone gives us their full attention? It feels great. It lets us know that the other person thinks that we are important enough this conversation matters enough to give the, to give us one of their most precious resources, their time, their attention. Learning to lead with presence means that before anything else, before what we want to say, before how we feel, before what happened, before what we want to ask, any of that, can we just show up? Can mm-hmm. we just be fully present and then learn how to stay aware and present throughout the conversation? And so to lead with presence doesn't mean that I'm somehow directing the conversation. I am now leading you. It means lead as in let the first thing you do be to arrive and be fully present with all of your resources and heart and energy and, and awareness, and then learn how to continue doing that. Learn how to stay aware in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And we, can, we can get into some of the practical tips for yes. That later.
1: Yes. And I have some more questions on those practical tips also, okay. for sure.
0: So that's the first foundation, the uh-huh. second foundation, so that gets us on the map. Once we're aware, we're actually in the conversation. We recognize there's another human being in front of us, and we can start to actually move. Now, how we move in a relationship or conversation is determined by our intention. Intention is about where we're coming from inside. It's the, the heart quality or motivation behind our words or actions, as opposed to a particular outcome. Some people will use mm-hmm. that, in, that word intention to mean the outcome they want. Like my intention mm-hmm. is to get you to do the grocery shopping this weekend. Yes. My intention <laughs> is for you to apologize. That's not what I mean by intention Call the outcome of the conversation, the desired goal of the conversation. The intention is how do you want to show up? Do you want to be relaxed or tense? Do you want to be patient or pushy? Would you like to be caring and kind? Are you wanting to be connected to a sense of strength and clarity? How do you want to behave and relate in the conversation? Now, intention is important for a few reasons. One, it's what's driving the conversation. It's what's determining how we engage every moment. What we say, how we respond is informed by our intention. So it's a major driving force in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Number two, our intentions in human relationship play a very large role in our nonverbal communication. And as many of us know, the nonverbal signals we send in a conversation are as important, if not more important than the actual words that we say. It's what people pick up on. All of those subtle cues of our facial expressions, our tone of voice, our body language are being animated and informed by our intention. So the second foundation is to come from curiosity and care. And I highlight these two particular intentions of curiosity and care because I find them to be the most powerful and transformative in dialogue. There are many other intentions that are useful and I encourage people to choose a clear and helpful intention in conversations. But as a default, I want all of us to be able to stay connected, one, to fundamental, genuine interest. This is what opens the doorway to real communication, is wanting Mm -hmm. to understand one another, actively seeking to listen and understand what the other person is saying, how they feel, where they're coming from. And then the factor of care doesn't mean that we want to be everyone's best friend because that's not life. It means that we're connected to our heart, that mm-hmm. we're, we're aware of and deeply rooted in what we care about, our own values, so that we are not engaging in ways that we will later regret, but are actively living with integrity. So this is the second foundation of choosing a helpful intention and training ourselves to come from curiosity and care in a conversation. And if we do just this, if we learn how to lead with presence, to really show up, and then to get genuinely curious, to really be interested and to stay connected to our heart, just those two factors a profound impact on the trajectory mm-hmm. of a conversation.
1: Yes. And, and you said, you know, about curiosity and care and how essential those are, you know, and actually. So shifting from judgment, criticism, labeling, blame into curiosity and focusing on what matters in daily interaction and not just in the... Da- really in conflict. I'm wondering if it's just me, but this is, it's essential, but this is also maybe why it's the most challenging.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) I would, I would say a couple of things. One is these skills are not just for conflict, of course, as you know, they're They're really a way, it's really a way of life and they are supportive and applicable in conflict, but they can provide a certain kind of richness to all of our relationships and conversations. So I encourage people to explore and practice with this stuff all of the time, not just when you're in conflict. If the only time you use it is when you're in conflict, it's going to be very difficult to learn because we need to learn and integrate the skills when everything's going okay. And then they become more accessible when there's a challenge. The other thing you mentioned, which maybe we can come back to, because it's it's a very radical and challenging idea, I think, is this idea of getting curious when we have a judgment of someone or are mm-hmm. being critical of ourselves or someone else or a situation. Dr. Rosenberg used to say, all judgments are alienated expressions of our yes. own unmet needs. And this is really a, really a deep insight and window into what it is to be human, to recognize that when we're judging someone, ourselves, or a situation, it's a sign, it's a signal that there's something that matters to us. The more we stay focused on the judgment, the less flexibility and creativity we have to actually engage in the situation. As soon as we start to identify what our needs are, what matters to us, one, we feel more empowered. Two, we have more options for actually how to engage to meet some of those needs.
1: And we will circle right back there after a short little break. Um, Please tune right back in with us with this great conversation with Orangey Sofa. Thank you. Welcome back to our High Energy Health Podcast episode. I'm Miriam Paninski today in conversation with Oren J. so far. And we were just talking about, I think what maybe we could describe as kind of like the the empowering process of kind of like interrupting these cycles of kind of judgment and blame and criticism. And what I really also appreciate about the structure um, of your book is not just you're offering your practical steps, but you're also always offering a QA and a at the end of the chapters. And one of the questions or some of the questions that I think a lot of our audience may also have. So how do you come from curiosity and care when you believe the other person doesn't have good intentions? when they're deliberately doing something to upset me or you, we're making things difficult. And the second question, which was kind of attached to that, is more of a statement. This stuff only seems to work if both people are using it.
0: <laughs> yeah, great questions, Miriam. Thank you. Maybe I'll start with the second one and then come to the first. Of course, the ideal situation is that both people are using the skills or at least have some sort of shared interest in collaborating and understanding each other, right? That's the ideal situation. And the reality is that most of the people... All live on the planet don't have these skills. And so, if they only worked when other people were using the skills, they would be next to useless. They would be very, very limited. Communication is a relational activity, as I said before. It takes two to communicate. And what this means is that when it only takes one person to change the dynamic and change the conversation, because it's co created. Because a dialogue is, by definition, an exchange between two, a relationship, when one person changes how they are relating and participating in that conversation, by definition, it will change the whole conversation. Now, by the very same reason, because it is co created, it also means that there is a limit. So we can change the steps of the dance by how we move and if we are skilled and if the other person has some level of willingness or openness, the dialogue can be transformed. We can actually begin to, we can take the conversation in a different direction. However, because it's co-created, if the other person is just dead set against having any you know, mutual conversation or uh, reaching towards understanding, there's a limit. There is a limit to what we can do with these skills because they are relational and they depend on um, having some influence over the, with the other person as we use the skills and participate in the conversation. The more resistant the other person is, the more intense the feelings or charge is in the conversation, the higher the skill level we need to participate and take the conversation in a different direction. So that's the second question. Now, the first question you asked was, asked was, well, what about when the other person you know, seems out to get us, or they're not at all interested, or they seem to be doing things intentionally to mess with us in some way? There are a few ways that these tools are helpful in those situations. So remember that these tools are not just about the conversation alone. This is really about how we're living, how we're understanding ourselves and how we're relating to life. So first and foremost, they provide a way for us to understand our own feelings and to have more freedom and understanding in our own heart for the situation. So that if somebody is behaving in a way, relating in a way that we find really challenging, really aggravating, we have some tools, we have some resources to self-regulate, to have some compassion and empathy for ourselves in that situation situation so that we're not going into fight, flight, freeze mode, so that we're not ending up saying and doing things that we later regret or that burn a bridge or make the the relationship that much more challenging. So first and Mm -hmm. foremost, the tools give us a way to understand and transform our own internal experience by being, by again, leading with presence, knowing what's happening, staying connected to ourselves, finding that intention of curiosity and care. The first place to get curious and to care is with our own experience. So, Mm -hmm. okay, fine. You can't get curious about the other person because you feel really upset or angry. Okay. Uh Can you get curious about what's happening for you? Why do I feel so angry? What's happening here? Why am I getting so riled up? What's important to me? How do I feel? What is Uh this reminding me of? So it gives us a a framework and some concrete ways of engaging with our own internal experience. That's number one. Uh Number two, one of the fundamental perspectives in nonviolent communication and the, the field of humanistic psychology out of which it arose is that part of what makes us human is that we are motivated to meet our underlying fundamental needs and that those needs are shared, that they are more universal than not. So when we're encountering somebody who is doing or saying things that we find incredibly challenging, really problematic, one of the ways to get curious is to remember this perspective. And the way Dr. Rosenberg put it was to say that everything we do, we do to meet a need to meet some mm-hmm. underlying fundamental need. That is a shared need. That's a need that I also have. That's something that's also important to me. So to ask oneself, well, what matters to this person? This person who's getting all up in my face, who's you know speaking to me in ways that don't meet my need for respect or kindness, who has views politically that are abhorrent and frightening to me. Look beyond that to something deeper, to the sense of shared humanity to say, what could this person possibly care about that I can also connect with. I might disagree completely with how they are acting on that care, with what the choices that they're making and the views that they have about how to implement it. But the premise here and the invitation is to learn to see with eyes of compassion that allow us to connect with the underlying shared humanity uh, in any situation. So whether we're talking about abortion rights, gun control, immigration, whether we're talking about vaccination and COVID safety, to move beyond the different views and opinions that we have to something more fundamental, to recognize that those we disagree with also care about something that we too care about. They just have different ideas about how to actualize it in life.
1: And this kind of reminds me of two things. The first thing is um, I've recently read more about a Tibetan Buddhist practice called Tonglen. And you must have, you must have heard of it's kind of like, as in kind of saying, because we learn in a lot of, you know, these kind of self-development in our self-development interested words, we learn breathe in healing and breathe out stress (laughs) and kind of Tomlin is kind of saying the opposite in some ways. It's kind of like, can we breathe in the pain of the other? Really? Can we breathe in even the assumed pain of the other? And can we send out whatever we wish for us, for them. Can we breathe out loving kindness, essentially? And I read about this also in Pema tro- Children's work, and she kind of also describes and how tough it is. And it is, you know, and I've, I've kind of been practicing it and also practicing it in, in, in kind of more difficult conversations. And I, it was p- painful, but it was also incredibly, incredibly helpful as in kind of saying, it, and we can continue this conversation, but maybe you have a comment on, on, sure. on Tonglen.
0: Sure. <laughs> well, I would just I'm not trained in tonglen, but I would say that in some ways it's an advanced practice because it's a really tall order, you know, to take to take in someone else's pain and transform it. It's really a bodhisattva task. So, you know, the approach that I take and the practice that I teach is really just focused on the loving kindness and really that sense of that. When we can come from kindness, it protects our heart. It mm-hmm. protects our heart from moving into hatred, disdain, resentment, envy, jealousy, all of these uh, very harmful negative mind states. And it's there's it a very important distinction that coming from kindness doesn't mean that we condone harmful actions. It doesn't mean that we agree with others. It means that we're not letting our own heart move into hatred and hostility.
1: Yeah. Thank you for this. We will be right back in just a couple of minutes with this great conversation with Oranje Sofa. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome back to our high energy health podcast episode today in conversation with the amazing orange a so far. and we just talked about the three foundations of human communication and we just briefly touched on the last one but maybe you would like to elaborate the intention of focusing on what matters, which is I think the third foundation.
0: Sure. So maybe maybe just to kind of tie together what we were talking about before, mm-hmm. Miriam. So this this third foundation of training and mindful communication is is to focus on what matters and, and essentially what that means is to be aware of the needs, the underlying values or motivating factors in ourself and others. And this is so transformative and powerful when we really take it to heart, because it's what allows us to get curious. It's what allows us to transform the prison of our own judgments and criticisms and views and beliefs to more meaningful information inside. And when we can identify what actually matters to us, we have many more options to meet our needs. So if, you know, Know, I write you off as being selfish. The only way for things to get better is for you to change <laughs> and <laughs> go good luck trying to get other people to change. But if I'm aware that what I want is more mutuality, more balance, more consideration, when I become aware of my needs, one, I can speak to that in a way that's clearer, more direct, less blaming. And two, I can start to have more creativity with how I meet those needs. So I can recognize that there are things that I can ask to have more balance or mutuality. I might decide to focus on other relationships where I'm experiencing the balance and mutuality and consideration that I value. Mm -hmm. And this is obviously just one example in a very kind of mundane interpersonal level, but as we explore it, this holds true for all kinds of situations, including things that don't involve other people, Uh, habits that we have that we wanna change. Instead of just judging ourselves, I'm so lazy or I'm so this or I'm so that, actually look at what are the needs? What needs are being met by this behavior? Behavior, and what needs aren't being met? What are the oh. needs I have that I'm I'm longing to fulfill that this behavior is not actually meeting? To get creative and see, oh well, if this is what's important to me, I now have other options for going about doing that. Oh. Now, I know you wanted to ask some questions too about meditation and Buddhist the Buddhist path, so I want to make sure we have some time for that as well.
1: Yes, just wanted to kind of just kind of tie 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 together. The question about needs, and I think it also goes to. I think you also moved to the detachment from needs, the letting go of needs within the communication practice that you suggest, and but also saying that letting go of needs does not mean rejecting them, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very kind of nuanced and subtle, subtle thing, and maybe the the simplest way of putting it would be to learn how to honor and attend to one's needs rather than always being or only being focused on fulfilling one's needs because there is a difference between satisfying or fulfilling our needs which is wonderful when it can happen but is not possible <laughs> not possible all of the time in life as we all know and the way we tend to react to that is either to grab on even tighter and try to control and force things to fulfill our needs or the reverse, which is to reject them, to say, Mm -hmm. well, I'm never going to have this anyway, so I'm just going to disconnect from it because it's too painful to want. And Mm -hmm. there's another option, which is maybe a good segue into Dharma, which is the option of honoring the experience of being human and Mm -hmm. opening to the vulnerability of having needs. And the immense beauty of that that we that we value things that we are interdependent creatures that we feel so much that we long for so much and yeah. and not being in control we can still have a relationship with those needs we can still for example if if i you know i have some some friends of mine you know who really long to be in partnership to have a life partner a spouse and have not found someone And it's painful, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what do you do? Do you just give up and disconnect from it? Do you, of course, you know, you can continue to pursue it, but ultimately one can hold with a certain kind of tenderness and reverence, the longing for companionship and really delight in how beautiful that is in one's heart Mm -hmm. to to value this, whether or not it's fulfilled or satisfied. And so this is what's meant by honoring our needs, even when we can't fulfill them.
1: Thank you for this. Yeah, this is a wonderful answer. Circling at the end of our conversation to daily mindfulness practices, but also kind of like the principle of Dharma. What is it, does it mean for you to live a life, live a Dharmic life, live a life in Dharma? What is your What is your idea of this?
0: Yeah, wow what a beautiful question. So, Dharma—the word Dharma means teaching, or way, or nature. It's refer, meant to refer to the teachings of the Buddha. And what does it mean to live a life of Dharma? Perhaps most fundamentally, we could say it—it it means to live a life imbued with the spirit of generosity, with ethics of non-harming, and with a dedication to cultivating our mind and heart and realizing our full potential as human beings. These are the three foundations of the path that the Buddha talked about, dana, sila, bhavana, generosity, ethical living, and mental cultivation or training. So this is one way of encapsulating the teachings of the Buddha. Another is to talk about the path that he laid out, which is a path of training in, again, non-harming development of wisdom and the training of the mind. So it's about not wasting our life, really recognizing that a human life is a precious thing. And first and foremost, recognizing that it's a shared experience that we're here on the planet with other creatures. And so because of that, The first foundation of of dharma is always that sense of ethical sensitivity that our actions have effects. How do we help one another? How do we live in a way such that there's enough for everyone and we're not causing harm? That in and of itself, that kind of attention to the choices that we make in life in this very complex world creates the conditions for non-remorse and a sense of dignity and brightness in the heart and the mind. And those are the conditions for deeper meditation to begin to develop wisdom and to train the mind and the heart, be beautiful, to bring out the the beauty in the human spirit qualities like honesty, kindness, compassion, generosity, balance. And that those those qualities, the more we cultivate them and and continue to look within those qualities, culminate in transformative insight, deep understanding that changes our perspective on what it is Mm. to to be human and to be in this world.
1: Mm. Leaves me nothing else to say but then to say i feel very blessed for having been in this conversation with you today for having in this really beautiful uh, living beautifully in this beautiful conversation with you today Oren. and i would just encourage our audience to check out Oren's resources his website com. he is extremely generous with all the resources again as i mentioned earlier there's book references there's referral lists there is free meditations on there. There is an can get access to his year-round online program, see where he's doing retreats. There's some really beautiful, wondering, wonderful offerings out there. And I would just like to thank you, Oren, for being here with me today and for being in conversation with me and for sharing your teachings and your wisdom with all of us here.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much, Miriam, for having me and thanks for running the show and offering thank this to you. everyone.
1: Yes. Thank you so much.